It's going to be my responsibility this morning to try to communicate a message on Youth Day to young people and make you think that I'm talking to you who are adults. Every year at uh, North Fort Worth Baptist Church we, where we had a large deaf ministry, we had one service where they, they preached in, in sign and translated to, to us hearing people just so that we'd constantly be reminded of how difficult it is for them to get what we're trying to do uh, as a preaching to the hearing folk first and then get translated down. You remember the uh, scripture that Todd read, the story of the young man we call the rich young ruler. That'll be the basis of what I want to say today, both to the young and to the not so young. Some of you may, are, may be aware or remember the name Abby Hoffman. He's been in the news lately. In fact, he's been just been, a been arrested as a fugitive and has been on the FBI's most wanted list because Abby Hoffman was a leader of the underground faction called the Weathermen in the latter part of the 1960s. This violent revolutionary group that took to the streets to um, sound out their beliefs and philosophies concerning the political and economic structure in American life. They were responsible for the burnings in Washington, D.C. and Chicago and these race riots and riots that took place. Abby Hoffman made a statement one time in Chicago while Chicago was burning. We started a revolution, he said, for the hell of it. We're going to burn pig nation to the ground and we're going to erect Woodstock Nation in its place. A reporter was uh, interviewing Abby Hoffman after that statement and asked him about a book that he had written. He said, who do you want to buy your book? He said, I don't want anybody to buy it. I want them to steal it. And they said, well, who do you want to read your book? And Abby Hoffman said, I want six-year-old kids to read it because they are the vanguards of our revolution. He was talking about you folk. You didn't know that you were a vanguard of a revolution, did you? Did I just lose my sound? Okay. Are you staying? Somehow I lost the sound here. Give me a little more sound, will you? That's all I can get? Okay. Now, where was I? You didn't know you were a vanguard of the revolution, did you? As a matter of fact, there are a lot of revolutionary things that are taking place all the time about which some of us are not even aware. Young people, this is not the same world into which you were born. A lot of the value systems and value thoughts have just gone belly up since your birth. And things have really changed. Even our vocabulary has changed. I can remember when fuzz grew on peaches. And, um, and pigs were the little animals that grew up down on the farm. I can remember when a ding-a-ling was a noise that a bell made, and a, and a rock was a stone, and a roll was a bun. And you went down to the, to the bakery to get your bread, now you go to the bank. Back in Squaresville, where I came from, 
Social Security was what my mother called those suspenders she ordered for me out from the Sears and Roebuck catalog, you know, those great big wide ones. And, and a demonstration was what the vacuum cleaner salesman did in the living room of our farm home. And uh, way out was an exit. And uh, uh, pick, pickets were, you know, those kinds of fences. Things have really changed. And some things have needed to change. Jesus understood that. For he was the most revolutionary man that ever lived. He walked into the hallowed institutions of his time and he found hypocrisy and graft and evil and deceit were entrenched. And he said, this has got to go. You have heard it said of old times, but I say unto you, he was revolutionary. There was something vital and fresh and dynamic something creative, something revolutionary about that man, the most revolutionary man who's ever lived. And so, young people, if you want to be a part of something that is changing the world or could change the world, something that moves against the stream, something that's fresh and unique and creative and vital, I offer you the cause of Jesus. Now the revolution this man came to establish, and I know this is kind of simplistic, but the revolution this man came to begin in the world can be summed up in a few ideas that are found in our text. And one of them is this. It's not how far you go in life that really counts. It's the direction you take. Now you want something that's different. You want something that moves against the stream and runs head on into the established. There's you something. You roll that around in your mind a while. For the whole concept of the capitalistic system is this. You go as far as you can, as quickly as you can, so that you can enjoy as much as you can for as long as you can. The heroes of our generation and our time are those who have gone from rags to riches, from the log cabins to the White House. You know, I'm going to leave these cotton fields and I'm going to hitch my wagon to a star. Go far in life. I used to look in the fly leaf of the school yearbooks that high school kids have. You can sure learn a lot about how they think and what they're thinking by just looking in the fly leaf of these yearbooks. I mean, some of the most fantastic philosophies are expressed there. I may write a book on those someday. And there's a, there's a line that just kind of keeps running in these. You look sometime and you'll find it there. Just kind of keeps running in every one of them. The statement, I hope you go far in life. Now on the surface, that seems like good advice. I hope you go far in life. But what? if you're going in the wrong direction? What if you wind up in the last cell on death row? Or what if you wind up on the last bed in the last room on the last hallway on the skid row and bowery? It's not how far you go in life, it's the direction you take. And I want to ask you, if you get where you're going, where will it be? Where have you aimed your life? 
1943, Georgia was playing California in the Rose Bowl. And it was a viciously fought game. And so the ball was snapped on the single wing formation and the tailback with the ball went into the line. There, there was this pile up and, and, and there was, for a moment, his progress was stopped, just, just for a moment. And in the, in the movement of that line, in that pile up, he broke out into the clear. I mean, he was, he was loose. He was in the clear. Pay dirt was ahead of him. Open field. And the crowd came to their feet and he raced 80 yards the wrong way. The only problem, I mean, 80 yards in the Rose Bowl, what a feat, except the only problem being that he went the wrong direction and the crowd that was cheering him on was the wrong crowd. It's not how far you go in life. It's where you've aimed that life that really counts. Oh, how there needs to be a Socrates to come among us. He walked the streets of Athens asking questions and puncturing pretensions and accusing his contemporaries that they were spending their life in pursuit of goals without really questioning whether those goals were worth getting to. And he said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And so I want to don my, my Socrates beard this morning, and I want to come among you young people and adults, and I want to ask you this question. Where are you going in life? Where have you aimed that life of yours? What end do you have in view? If you get there, where will it be? And when you get there, before God, will you be able to say that it's been worth the cost of getting here? Will you be like Catherine Mansfield who came to the end of her life and said of her plays and poems, there's not a one I'm not ashamed of. I wouldn't offer a one of these to God. And so the young man of our text came running to Jesus. You know why? Even though he had early and every success, he was young and he was rich. And being neither, I feel somewhat jealous of him. He was young and he was rich and he was successful. And yet there was inside of him that gnawing inner feeling of frustration and emptiness. He wasn't a an Augustine with a fiercely accusing conscience. He was not a John Bunyan who miserably felt he had sinned against the Holy Spirit. He was just a young man who had it made. And yet inside of him there was that gnawing feeling of emptiness, unfulfillment, that gnawing sense that he had missed the mark. And I know there must have been those voices all the time in his mind saying, you're a fool, look what you've got. Why, a million people will change places with you today. Why don't you just take what you have and be satisfied and keep your mouth shut? But he couldn't. Nor can you. And so he came running, not ashamed that that was unsophisticated. And he knelt before Jesus unconcerned that his contemporaries might have mocked him for bowing down to a peasant who had nothing. And he said this to Jesus, in essence, I am empty, thwarted, and frustrated. 
and I sense that you have found the secret of authentic existence. Can you tell me how to live? And Jesus looked at him and said, paraphrase, well, it's certainly not the distance. You've come a long way. It's the direction. Well, you see, young man, the problem is not the distance. The problem is where you've aimed your life. Now, he said, I want you to go back, sell all you have, and aim your life toward me. I want you to go and give up everything and come follow me. Now, if you want a life that's full and, and rich and meaningful and important, young people, adults, you need to aim that life in the direction of Jesus Christ and what he came to do, what he came to say. It's not how far you go in life that really counts. It's the direction you take. It's not what you get in life that counts. It's what you give. Now, you want something that moves against the stream, there's you something. You want to go against everything that's being taught today, there's you something. Because we are taught that life is a big pot of gold at, at the end of a rainbow. Go get it. You know, you know, like you pop the tab and it sprays out and you hear somebody say, go for it. And then on the television screen, there flashes this statement, you only go around once in life. You need to grab for all the gusto you can get. I mean, get it. We come into our world, into our life, screaming our lungs out for what we want. That never really changes. And somebody's always telling us that there is a great big piece of pie out there for a person who wants to go out and slice him off some, you've got to go out there and get it. I was sitting in an auditorium one time listening to a, to a man give a commencement address. And he was talking to young people. And he was telling this. this. He was saying to the, this. He said, now you need to go to college because you can make more money if you go to college. And he said, now, this is where it's all at now. This area, you can make more money and you can get more power and you can have more status if you go this direction. And I, just sit, I was sitting there listening to this man tell what we've all told, that the important thing in life is to train yourself so that you can go out and accumulate money, status, and power. And I thought to myself, you know what? strange thing it would be if somebody got up to a commencement address and stood up there and said, young people, I want to tell you how you can have nothing. I want to tell you how you can train yourself so that you can give yourself away. I want to tell you how you can be prepared to sit at the end of the table. I want to tell you how you can be prepared to bow down and serve others. I want to tell you how that you can give everything you have away. Why, we'd, uh, we'd call for the, you know, the net and the wagon. I suppose that the only person who has ever said anything revolutionary like that is Jesus. 
You know what's destroying our world? Greed is destroying our world. And covetousness and desire has destroyed everything that we've touched. It's polluting the air we breathe. It's polluting the water we drink. Covetousness is ruining our land. It is the enemy of happiness. It is the it of misery. It is the father of selfishness. I'm telling you that Jesus said, go and give everything you have away. And that's a pretty revolutionary thought, isn't it? I was watching this advertisement not long ago, or saw it in a magazine. And it was, a, it was this young man walking his girlfriend up to the door. And, 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 and his old comfort car was there in the prominent background. And you just knew that this advertisement was going to have something to do with that old car sitting out there on the street. And he was walking her to the door, and she had this kind of a sad, forlorn look on her face and said, Larry, I'd love to go out with you again, but you had bad shots. Now, now I know what Larry's going to do. Larry is going to leave that doorstep, and he's going to make a beeline to the shopping store place, and he's going to get new shots. And if he can afford it at all, he may even get in a new car. And I just can imagine that every 16-year-old kid who read that advertisement must have thought, that may be what's wrong with me. You know, you reckon I could have bad shots? And so everything we do is designed in order to get what I want, ultimately. If I make this checker move, it's going to pay off for me down in the long run. Young people, some guys choose dates for what they can get out of it. And they knew me like a thing. And did you know, you won't believe this, but it's true, that some people choose their vocation solely and entirely on the basis of how much money they can make in that vocation. And so Jesus came down the road, and here came this young man, Rick, and he fell before him, and he said, Sir, I want to know how to really live. And Jesus said, It's as simple as this. Go and give your life away. It's not what you get in life that really counts. It's what you get. It's not what you get in life that really counts. It's what you give. Finally, it's not what you've done in life that really matters. It's who you are. Now, did you listen as Todd read the text? The young man said, when, when Jesus said, this is what you need to do, Keep the commandments, and he began to name those commandments. And the young man said, I've done all of those from my youth. I mean, when I was a child, I'm, from then on, I've done those things. Now, that's pretty good. I don't suppose there's anybody here this morning who could make such a claim as that. 
And Jesus looked back at him and said, in essence, Young man, it's not what you do that really matters, who you are. You know, folks, I know some people who do a lot of good things, and they do a lot of religious things, but down in here, it's different. Who are you? I mean, really. You see, there's a difference between character and reputation. Reputation is what people think we are. Character is what God and we know we are. I mean, really, who are you? What are you? My friend ran one night, and I think I may have shared this with some of you. This girl was crying. She was a leader of our youth group. She said, girl, I need to talk with you right now. Pastor, I need to see you right now. It was late at night. I said, okay, I'll meet you in my study. You bring your father. And she and her father came to my study, midnight at night. And she sat in there, and somehow God had kind of broken through with the mirror that she had on the right side. And he had communicated to her what she was really like. And she couldn't stand it any longer. And so in my office, in my study, sitting at my desk, she began to tell me what she was really like. I guess, you know, she just had to confess. I didn't believe her, really. I didn't think that, you know, surely, man. She began to open her, her life to me and share with me what was really down deep inside of her. That's what really counts. What are you really like? I mean, when you take off the church face and let God look down past the veneer to, to that what, what exists and lies in your heart of hearts, that's really there. I like that human television commercial, don't you? Have you ever noticed that? It says that the quality goes in before the name goes on. And what that saying is that you can have the name, but do you have the quality? You can call yourself a Christian, but are you, do you have the life of Christ? It's not what you've done, it really comes. Who you are. It really is who you are. It's who you are. And so everybody has to have someone around which or something around which he builds his life and his thoughts and his goals and his dreams and his objectives. That's what we call our God. If that just uh, takes the center part of our thoughts and our life and our ambitions and our dreams, if that that around which we mold and shape our actions, who is your God? I mean, who controls you? Whose are you? Who is the master of your life today? Author Camus' book, The Fall, This Man Free. 
tells about a young surgeon in the city of Paris. He's like the weak young ruler who had it made. He had riches and fame and success. And one night on the way home from the apartment of his mistress, he passed across this river, this bridge, over this river, just in time to see a young woman standing on the edge of the bridge, and she was going to leap to her death in the water below. And he saw her do that. She plunged down into the river. But Evidently, when she hit the water, she had second thoughts, and she began to thrash around in the water and call for help. John Baptiste, in just a moment, he started to take off his coat and his shoes and dive in to save her. He could have done it. He was a champion swimmer. But for some reason, he didn't. The night was cold and far spent, and so he waited until her cries echoed down the riverbank, and the flashing silenced in the night. And Jean-Baptiste went on home, but he never got over that day, that night. What he did not do began a descent downward in his life that ended up in a bar as a hopeless derelict and alcoholic. He just couldn't get over that night. So one night, in a bar room in the city of Paris, there's Jean-Baptiste again. He has this old beard. He's disheveled with old, ugly clothes. And he has a liquor bottle in his hand, trembling hand. And somebody mentions to him, aren't you Jean-Baptiste? Brings back those memories again. And in a moving scene at the end, Jean-Baptiste speaks to that unseen person in the bar and says, Oh, God, oh, woman, I would that you'd go back to that bridge once again and leap to your death so that I would have a second chance to save you and to save myself. I don't know what happened to the rich young ruler. There may, be a, may have been a time in his life where he cried out, Oh God, oh Jesus, I would you'd come back and make the same offer so that I could save myself. But the point of the story is this, young people. There comes a moment in your life, a strategic time in your life, where the right decision leads to a life upward, and the wrong decision leads to a life downward. Now Jesus stands before you today, and he says, I want you to come, and I want you to follow me. For Jesus' sake, would you step out into this aisle and say, 
I want to give my life to Jesus Christ and I want to follow him. I want to rededicate myself because my witness has not been what it should. And I want to give my life to the cause of Jesus Christ. And is there anyone present this morning who has never really committed himself to Jesus? Never responded to Christ's invitation to come and follow me? And you'd like to come today to say, I want to begin to follow Christ. I want to give my life to him. I want him to come into me and live. I want to surrender myself to his way. And I sense that there may be some of you who, as I was when I was a senior in high school, struggling with God's call to your life of ministry, to full-time Christian ministry service. It might be as a preacher, as a missionary, whatever, church-related. Jesus said, this is the secret. Come and follow me. Give your life to me. Give your life to me. Would you give your life to him? Would you give your life to Jesus? Would you give your life to Jesus? Would you let him have your life? Would you give your life to Jesus? Would you? I mean, will you give it to him? Would you let him have it? For I pray it in his name and for his sake. 